Thanksgiving, uh, rejoicing in God's uh, goodness and bounty uh, to us. As we look forward to the next season, uh, to Christmas, uh, when we're in the midst of holidays, uh, it can be a difficult time for people. Um, and as we think about hope, uh, we realize that we have an enemy that is called depression. Uh, depression is very real. We see this as you open your Bibles to Psalm 42. We don't know for sure who penned these words. Um, it says it's from the director, or for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Mascal is a musical uh, instrument or musical term that uh, means song or poem. Uh, but it does seem as though it's probably coming from David the psalmist because it very much mirrors Psalm 63 and David's experience of running from Saul. Here we're not sure if David is running from Saul or if it's in relationship to Absalom's rebellion and David fleeing from Jerusalem. But we do know whoever penned this, whether it's David or somebody else, they are definitely going through a deep depression, a difficult time in their life. And so as we read through this, let's read through it together. And actually, Psalm 42 and 43 actually really are really almost like one psalm. Some believe that at one time it was is one psalm because it has the same theme. But he starts off in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's read Psalm 43 as well, because they do really go together. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God my God. 
Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The reality is, when we talk about depression, it is, it is something that is worldwide. And it has touched many, many people, and I'm sure many, many people in this room, including one standing in the pulpit. I have felt depression before. And I'm sure you have too, many of you. And so it's not um, necessarily a sinful thing. There could be many reasons. But 350 million, you won't be able to quite read that, 350 million people worldwide, it says, suffer from depression. Uh, 16 million U.S. adults had at least one major depression episode in 2012. And so it is a, a worldwide issue that we need to think about and uh, talk about. Uh, there was a psychology instructor who had just finished giving a lecture on mental health and, and she was giving an oral quiz to her students. And speaking specifically about manic depression, she asked, how would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth screaming at the top of his lungs one minute, then sits in a chair weeping uncontrollably the next? A young man in the rear raised his hand and answered, that would be a basketball coach. <laughs> Um, we laugh, but depression is a real problem, a serious problem. It affects more people in our culture than any other emotional disorder, according to Harvard psychiatrist Dr. Armin Nikolai II. Let's just look at, uh, and I'm going to do these quickly. We'll put these on Facebook, so don't worry about trying to write all these down, but just to talk about some symptoms because we're, we want to deal more with the, the answer than the symptoms, but just so we know, some of the things that uh, go along with depression are extreme irritability over minor things, uh, anxiety and restlessness, anger management issues. Like I say, we'll try to put these out for you. Loss of interest in favorite activities. Fixation on the past or on things that have gone wrong. Thoughts of death or suicide. And then there's physical symptoms as well that include insomnia or sleeping too much, debilitating fatigue, increased or decreased appetite. We can see this in the psalm. Weight gain or weight loss difficulty concentrating or making decisions, unexplained aches and pains. Those seem to come with age, too, by the way. <laughs> All right, let's look at a definition here of depression. A state of feeling sad, a mood disorder marked especially by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in thinking and concentration, a significant increase or decrease in appetite and time spent sleeping, Feelings of dejection and hopelessness and sometimes suicidal tendencies. So these are things that we can face. John Bunyan, who was a pastor in the 16th, uh, 1600s, uh, wrote a classic uh, called The Pilgrim's Progress. And in this story, he follows the hero who is named Christian 
on his treacherous journey from the city of destruction to his heavenly destination, the celestial city. Along the way, Christian and a companion approach a very miry slough that was in the midst of the plain, and they, being heedless, did both fall suddenly into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for a time, being grievously covered with dirt. And Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, he began to sink in the mire. His traveling companion manages to get out, but rather than giving Christian a hand up, he turns away from the path of life and flees home. Christian then is left struggling alone in the boggy, muddy hole until a man named Help, the Holy Spirit, kindly pulls him free from despondency's pit and sets him on solid ground. Christian asks help why this dangerous plot of land had not been mended that poor travelers might go on heaven's journey with more security. And help tellingly replies, this miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. How true this is in life. No matter how hard we try or how spiritually mature we are, miry sloughs are inevitable. Not because we have failed somehow, but because no one is immune to despondency. It is such a place as cannot be mended. We only travel through the slough of despond. A famous American leader once wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed, he said, to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. You may be surprised that Abraham Lincoln is the one who wrote those words. He was depressed. Years later, in the darkest days of the Civil War, Lincoln wrestled constantly with the challenge of unrelenting depression. It can strike anyone including the President of the United States. So it's not a question of necessarily being sinful or wrong. There could be many reasons we can fall into depression. I'm just going to mention a couple causes and then we're going to move on, but uh, some causes to depression can be chemical. Uh, we have neurotransmitters in our brain that send signals from one part of the brain to the other and it can be a chemical imbalance that causes a depression. It could be genetic. Research suggests that approximately 40% of individuals with depression suffer as a result of a genetic link. However, genetics don't dictate necessarily what we do or don't do. For instance, they have genetic links to alcoholism, but it doesn't mean you have to be an alcoholic. So just because there's that genetic link, but it is a cause or can be a cause. There can be secondary causes from medical disorders like thyroid disease or diabetes or even strokes can contribute to depression. There can be also spiritual reasons. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
And so there can be spiritual reasons. People can harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in their heart. And because of that, it destroys the peace and hope and joy that God intends for our lives. So as we look at the opening verse of this chapter, we see the psalmist with a desire to be close to God. He's like as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He has a desire to be close to God. He was desperate to be near God. You could sense this desperation. And one thing that depression can do is it can drive us to the Lord. I remember when I was, had feelings of depression, what it did is drove me to my knees. God, I can't do this. You have to help me. You have to be the one that gives me strength. You have to renew my hope. And coming back to the Lord again and again and again and again, not based on my feelings, but based on the truth and reality of who God is. So let's just look quickly. Who is able to draw close to the Lord? We're supposed to. We see the writer of this psalm drawing close to the Lord. Who is able to? I'm just going to give you four quickly. Number one, those who approach God with faith. We must come to him in faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we see this, the psalmist here earnestly desiring to seek the Lord and coming in faith and trust of the Lord. Secondly, those who are broken. He says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The broken can approach the Lord. You don't come whole, you come as you are. If you're in pieces, you come in pieces. <laughs> That's the way he wants us to come. The psalmist here is in pieces. And yet he comes to the Lord. Thirdly, those with a sincere heart. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we come with faith, we come with our brokenness, and we come with a sincere heart. The Lord is close, near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. We looked at that last week in Psalm 145, verse 18. And then the last one I give you is those who live with integrity. Psalm 15, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. He's saying that's who can come into my presence. That's who can come close to me. And so these are what God would have us if we want to be close to him. Well, we move on. He has a desire to be close to the Lord, but he does not feel close to the Lord. Because he says in verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He felt abandoned by God. Have you ever felt that? My prayers get no higher than the ceiling. If they do get higher than the ceiling, they're sure falling short of the Lord. And you feel abandoned by the Lord. 
the psalmist felt abandoned by the Lord. When can I go, he says, and meet with this God? I feel so far away. And he is a ways away. Because he tells us later that he is, he will remember him from the land of Jordan. He says down in verse 6, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar, which is way up near Lebanon, far away from Jerusalem. He feels far away from God. He feels isolated from God, perhaps even rejected by God. During a crucial time in his life when he needed to hear from God, he feels like time keeps passing and I don't feel any closer to the Lord. Have you ever felt that? Well, there's some things I think we need to keep in mind when we have these feelings whether it's a feeling of depression, a feeling of abandonment from the Lord, a feeling like he doesn't hear me. And the first one is this, we recognize we have an enemy. Here the psalmist recognized he had an enemy. He goes on to say in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Obviously he is in such emotional turmoil he doesn't even have an appetite. He says, my tears have been my food. Well, men say to me all day long, where is your God? He's saying he's got an enemy. We have an enemy who tries to attack us. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. We have a thief. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us, kill us. Steal from us, rob us, blind. Dr. Michelle Bengston, in her book, Hope Prevails, she says, tragically, we allow the words, attitudes, or actions of others to influence how we feel about ourselves. This tendency begins in childhood when we come into agreement with parents, teachers, coaches, or other influential adults in our lives who make statements about us that do not agree with what God says about us. In other words, this person says something about us that is really not true, but we see them as an authority figure and we take what they say as true, that we're no good, or we're this, or we're that, or you're dumb, or you're stupid, or you're, and those are not true. Even if you've been told that by somebody in authority, those are not true statements. And so we have to come back to the truth. We recognize that we have an enemy. Here's what depression does, though. It contributes to loneliness. He feels all alone. He's by himself. He says, look down in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, but he's no longer with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. I can picture that. In my mind, I can see it, but it seems so far away and so long ago. And so he's really feeling more lonely as he thinks about that. And depression causes us to focus on feelings rather than truth. And that's where we have to come back to the truth. As I mentioned, Michelle Bengtson, uh, in her book, Hope Prevails, 
She, uh, she's a doctor. She went through a period of deep depression, so much so that she was in bed with IVs and couldn't even get out of bed. Couldn't hardly stand. For days, she was in bed. And she was actually a counselor, and she realized that as she was counseling other people about depression, she realized that her counsel was not help herself. And she had to come back to the Word of God. And here's what some of the lies she said the enemy told her when she was going through her depression. Maybe you can relate to these. You will always feel this way. Might as well get used to it. This is the way you're going to be. You will never be free from depression. This was what the enemy was telling her. Number three, God heals others, but not you. Number four, depression is in your genes, so you are destined to suffer. These were the lies the enemy was telling her over and over and over and over. Satan uses three primary tactics to perpetuate our depression. He wants to kill our joy. He wants to steal our peace and he wants to destroy our faith in God. So what does the psalmist do? How does he get out of this slough of despond, this pit of depression? Well, down in verse 5, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice he makes a conscious decision to put his hope in God, not based on his feelings, based on the truth. So what does he do? Recovers his joy. He recovers his joy. Notice, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, this, and it goes on to say, his soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Mount Hermon is the highest peak. It is over 9,000 feet above sea level. And archaeologists have uncovered the remains of more than 20 temples on the slopes of Mount Hermon. Where they worshipped false gods. Mount Mizar means little, little hill. And it may be little in comparison to the holy hill on Mount Zion. But the idea is he's recovering his joy. He's going back to the idea that God is in his temple. He's on his throne. And even though what I'm going through, he says, deep calls to deep in verse 7. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. What he's talking about here is he's talking about affliction after affliction after affliction have come upon me. But I am putting my hope in God in spite of the number of afflictions that I have. He acknowledges his depression, but he places his hope in God. Anne Voskamp said, real joy is not found in having the best of everything, but in trusting that God is making the best of everything. I like that. Even though what I'm going through is difficult, God is using it to refine me to make me more Christ-like in what I'm going through. 
Michelle Benson said, joy is an inner contentment despite outer circumstances. And here's what Paul said in Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope. Hope and joy go together. As we put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a joy that comes into us that only comes from the Lord. And then he says, patient in affliction. Many people crumble when they face a hard time and there's no patience, there's no endurance. And we have to be patient that God is going to work. He talks about waiting on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew what? Their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. We have to wait on the Lord. We have to be patient. And then he says, faithful in prayer. We have to be prayerful, calling out to the Lord, saying, God, I need you right now like I've never needed you before. And we need to practice gratitude. In Psalm 116, verse 17, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. Notice he says, Again in verse 5, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My Savior. We are highly valued. I have a Savior. You have a Savior who went to the cross and gave his life on the cross because he values me. And he values you and he wants a relationship with us. And therefore, we are highly valued. The Bible says we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And he gave his life on the cross for us. We are highly valued. Because what does the enemy do when you're going through depression? You worthless, insignificant, no good. Why would God pay any attention to you? I'm highly valued by God. So much so that he gave his life on the cross. Do I realize how highly valued I am? You see, the price paid for an object establishes its value. Therefore, the Bible says one soul is worth what? More than the whole world. God says in Isaiah 62, 3, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. We are completely loved, completely accepted, wholly valued by God. Regardless of our job, our income, our emotional state, Michelle Benson says in her book, and I love this, you might want to write it down, Depression does not define our worth. God does. Depression does not define our worth. God does. What lies have you believed about your worth? Talk to God in prayer and ask him to reveal the truth about how much he values you. Secondly, God calls us his. He calls us his. If you feel worthless, your feelings are lying to you. That's the exact opposite of what God says. If you feel depressed, 
and you don't feel like you're very treasured or worth very much or accepted by God, that's a lie because you are accepted by God. 1 John 4, 4, he says, you dear children, God calls us his, we're dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God calls us his, and then next, we are sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Galatians 4, 7 says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. Sons and daughters. You're going through a hard time? Remember, you're a child of the king. You're his son. You're his daughter. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can take joy in that. Look down in verse 8. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Reclaim his peace. When you have the love of God directing you, and you have a song in your heart at night, and you have a prayer to the God of your life, he will bring peace into your life. You reclaim that peace. All the worry, all the concern, all the annoyance is replaced with a calm experience in my mind and heart that God is in control. I depend on God. That's how I come back to peace. I depend on God. He tells us in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your anxiety should lead you to prayer, and prayer will lead to peace as we talk to the Lord about our needs. Don't be anxious. He tells us in Isaiah 26.3, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Psalm 55.22 And then the last one we want to look at is to recalibrate his faith. God wants us to recalibrate our faith based on who he is and not what our circumstances are. Look down in verse 9 through 11. I say to God my rock. Here he's recalibrating his faith. About God my rock, my refuge, my foundation, my source of strength, my security is in the Lord, not in my bank account, not in my education, not in my health, not in my job. It is in the Lord. I say to God, my rock, and you can still see the struggle. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast? He says, oh, my soul, why so disturbed within me? But then he comes back and recalibrating his faith, put your hope in God. 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He says in verse 2 of chapter 43, You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. If we're going to recalibrate our faith, we have to come back to the light and the truth of God to guide us. And he will. We have a steadfast hope in the Lord. We recalibrate our faith by being reminded that God is good. God is good. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But the enemy wants to pull us away from Christ, pull us away from God. Even Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he was afraid that the enemy was going to pull them away from Christ. And here's what he says to them in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We have to come back to the truth and trust God, put our hope in Him. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, where are you at in relationship to depression, especially with the holidays coming? Despondency, it is something that we all struggle with. And there's various reasons why we can struggle with it. But we have to remember that our feelings are the outward manifestation of the thoughts we believe. What do we believe about God? When we are going through a state of depression... We, it challenges our faith in what we really, really believe. Now, sometimes we face depression because of sin and disobedience in our life. We don't have a relationship with Christ and we do wrong. We face guilt. We face fear. We face conviction. And that can bring depression, real depression. We have to give our lives to Christ. We have to turn away from our sin and say, God, I need you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, shed his blood that I could be forgiven and cleansed. And as we are cleansed, God will give us his peace, his joy, his hope will come flooding into our lives. But even for believers, we can face depression. We've seen it in Moses in the Old Testament. He was depressed. Jonah, Elijah. We see many, many godly men here. The psalmist or whoever this author is was facing depression. But God, he put his hope in God. Can you talk to God about recovering your joy? About reclaiming your peace? 
about recalibrating your faith. That's what he wants to do. Don't continue on. Keep calling out to the Lord again and again and again. Make him your stronghold. And come back to the truth. I would challenge you to identify the lies in your life. Undoubtedly, the enemy lies, and the reason he does, the Bible says, is because he is the father of lies. And he lies to us over and over. And I would challenge you, even through this week, as you go through maybe a difficult time or have a feeling of depression or despondency, say, what am I thinking about right now? Is it true or is it a lie? And what does God say about me? And am I focusing on that? That's what we need to focus on. And God will give us great victory in our life if we trust him. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you don't understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sin that separates you from God, that we could be forgiven and cleansed. The Bible says that he made peace through the blood of the cross. He made peace for us. We can receive that peace as we receive the gift of of salvation, of Jesus' death on the cross for us. And I would encourage you to do that and ask Christ to come into your life and help you. For those who are believers and might be facing depression, right now you may be in a slough despond, but remember to have hope in God. Hope in God. By day, The Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. We can come with our brokenness. We can come in faith. We can come with a sincere heart and integrity, and God will hear us. you've enjoyed today's message if you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church you can check us out on the web by going to our website which is BethesdaMB.org that's Bethesda M as in Mary B as in boy dot org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron have a blessed day